back to Love, Life, and Legacy, a podcast dedicated to helping you walk the tightrope of life and come out on the other side, a victor, a victor S. And today's episode, we're talking about 90 days because high noon, we work in 90-day stints. And our Ascend program, our recovery program is all about what you can do in 90 days. And so we've seen some amazing feats be accomplished in 90 days. And if you set yourself up right, growth is inevitable in that time period. And if not, 90 days could just fly by and you're still the same person. So in today's episode, we kind of unpack the magic of what can happen in 90 days with myself, Monsieur Louvre, and also Professor Uyama Alabenji. Enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. Benji and I are here. It's been a long time since we recorded. Say hi, Benji. Hi, everyone. Benji's sitting in a car at a bird sanctuary. I'm sitting on the ground. Things are going to pop off. Things are going to be crazy today. And we wanted to talk about, because this came up right now, we're having all these orientation calls because the new quarter is starting. And I'm talking to young men from all around the world, helping them understand how to get the most out of high noon. And one of the things that keeps on coming up is like the 90 days, the fact that 90 days is this great amount of time. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about 90 days. Why do we do 90 day chunks at a time? The first reason is because God, <laughs> God works in seasons mm -hmm. and seasons are three months at a time. And it's like if the entire climate can change in your city from one season to the next, then your internal climate can also change for sure. Three months is this magical number where it's enough time to grow a lot, but it's still, you can fit three months into your brain. If we were to make a one year long program, I think a lot of people would not join. I think most people wouldn't join because it's just such a long, right. it's hard to predict like a year at a time, especially these days in this world. But, you know, one month, it's like you're just getting started at one month. Yeah, we kind of adopted this. We've been sticking to it for a while. And the reason is like it takes a while for you to build momentum as an individual, but also for a group to build momentum in terms of like building chemistry, speaking openly. I just spoke with one of our facilitators and he said it's their second last week before the end of the quarter. And that finally one guy that he has in his group shared what he's been holding inside the entire time. Like he finally got to the truth mm -hmm. and it took him 10 weeks, right? But that's just the nature of this. To unravel 10, 12, 15 years of a compulsive habit with porn, masturbation with self-centered thinking it takes a little bit of time to like get past the superficial desire to want to just get something negative out of your life and to get to the deeper questions of like why did I let this into my life and what do I want to do after it's gone what do you got to say about this yeah. Benji? I'm just kind of ranting here yeah, it's pretty challenging. You know, I must say, I think I'll kind of speak from perspective of facilitator. We have so many facilitators who are just selflessly giving their time every week to help these men and women, you know, overcome pornography, not only that, but try to somehow help them heal and recover from this, like you said, just decade or more long habit, addiction, behavioral addiction. And it's really hard to get people to open up. It's really hard to within even just three months period, 12 week period to get people to take action, but not only that to heal and to recover and give them a sense of community and brotherhood or sisterhood. So I really want to commend anyone who takes on that kind of mission. And it's really not easy, but I must say, and I'll share a bit more, I think, but just 
giving people that opportunity to share for that amount of period is like that in itself is way beyond anything anybody possibly could have found anywhere else in their life. I mean, there are very few opportunities like that, that people would actually dive into and actually work on this. So yeah, it's a challenge, but it's really just creating that space is super, super valuable. And from what I've seen, it kind of happens naturally over time, over a three month period, or even shorter to get people to a place where they just feel comfortable to share with each other. And that's like such a healing experience to have that environment. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Because like from the facilitator's perspective, it's pretty crazy because in the beginning, they're like, whoa, I don't know, volunteering. I've volunteered for church stuff before or nonprofits. And a lot of times it's the old dynamic right. where somebody's like, yeah, yeah, I can give you like five minutes a week. And then the church is like, okay, five minutes. So that means 10 minutes. That means an hour. That means give me your life. And, you know, it's like, it's this never ending commitment that you give a finger and they take the arm kind of thing. And so we were very careful of that because we know that there's a lot of burnout it's not mm. just our church, but it's like churches in general that are volunteer reliant, that it's hard to ask for the right amount, something that's challenging, but not too challenging. And when it's in three months, really, we're asking for volunteers for three months at a time. And if somebody want, is feeling burnt out, they can absolutely take a break, but just commit to three months. But the cool thing is it's really only like an hour, hour and a half a week, which is absolutely doable. And that hour to hour and a half a week compounded over three months, you can really help somebody. You know what I mean? Like if you just right. randomly do something once a week, like say you learn the guitar and you just do it once a week for an hour, you're not going to get very good very quickly because you forget a lot in between those week sessions. But somehow with the healing process, there's this kind of coming together of forces of when people start to invest a little bit more, they start to do a little internal digging like the participants and they start to feel like they're surrounded by good people, then what a facilitator is able to help with is so much more than just that one hour a week. It's like one hour a week could feel like 10 hours of healing, you know, just later in the process. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's like from all sides, from a participant's perspective, it's like we want to make sure that people don't get scared off by being overly committed. And then same with the facilitators. But yeah, we wanted to go right. over. I was just going to add that I think it's really pretty incredible that I would say maybe you know better, Andrew, but so a huge percentage of facilitators do sign up to go again to run another group of participants with the Ascend program, even though we don't push people to, right? It's not like we're trying to, we're operating on volunteers alone. We're really just trying to provide a helpful experience where they can, the facilitators themselves can get inspiration every few weeks through the form of a group call and, and just hearing from each other and hearing what's working. And it seems like people genuinely enjoy the experience. And even though it's sometimes challenging, it's a big responsibility many times, but the experience of just pushing themselves to help people and then seeing the impact it actually makes on their lives. For me, at least, that's like a huge bonus. And basically, that's the reason I do it as well. Yeah, it's a little bit crazy that for some of our facilitators, this is their life of faith. They don't really go to church or they don't really participate in that kind of stuff. But <laughs> this kind of keeps them connected to our community, but also to giving, the act of giving selflessly. And it's in many ways saving their own souls because otherwise they just be immersed in their own lives and they don't really have connection. But like I know a few people who are kind of, it was termed church burnout. <laughs> I'm kind of like stepping back from just the church activity, but 
they've committed to like one guy I know committed to the entire year at a time because he gets so much out of it himself. He's a facilitator, but he's like, this is saving me more than anything. So giving selflessly is sometimes the most selfish thing that you can do because it feeds your soul. So that's really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a lifeline for some people because again, they might have had bad experiences where they were working too hard. They didn't know how to say no to volunteer stuff. But when the parameters are set and they're really clear, right? Just three months at a time, once a week calls, they're this long. And now we have curriculum. We have a lot of stuff done for you. It's really just for your own sake too. But we wanted to get into some examples of some people, like what can happen in three months? Because although it's a short period of time, when somebody uses that time well, you can get a lot done in 90 days. You can get a a whole lot of growing done in that period of time. So we just wanted to kind of swap stories about different breakthroughs. Because I was looking at a couple of the groups that I facilitate and like there's so much stuff that happened in 90 days. A couple people moved countries, a bunch of people kind of changed career paths. And obviously they were working on their sexual integrity, but just the fact that they were living with more intentionality, like they were thinking about their life in more depth, then the rest of their lives started changing too. So I just wanted to get into some specific stories for you listeners, for you, our fans. We're nothing without our fans. We wanted to help you guys understand what's kind of happening, some of the possibilities of people changing in a short period of time. So Benji, I'm going to pass the mic off to you for the first one. Yeah. Thanks, Andrew. I would definitely say from the groups that I am doing now and that I've done for the last few years, they have all been of the nature of individuals who want to prepare well for marriage, want to prepare well for their future spouse. And I think we high noon generally attracts a lot of them, but not all of our members, our participants are in that category. But All the groups that I do are of that nature, particularly because that's the work that I'm passionate about, how to help especially young men and women, but I'm running groups for men, prepare well for marriage. And this is by far, if they were to identify, to self-identify what the biggest roadblock is, it would simply be the inability currently or this roadblock of pornography and just a constant battle back and forth and relapsing and just feeling like garbage all the time. And so it really became apparent to me when I was working with high school students. I started working with high school kids, ages 13 to 17 years old. And I was really moved because they started, whenever we start a group, I always ask them, where would you rank yourself on level one to 10 in terms of your relationship with pornography, your addiction scale? And most of them, you know, in that age would say four or five in terms of how frequent they act out and how deep they feel like they're in it. And then I asked them again at the end of their our semester. And most of them said that they're around the two or three or one, even in some cases. And what was interesting is that I think this is really just inspiring and beautiful because, I mean, honestly, like in my groups, there's only like six guys, six brothers, high school students. Of all of the people that we have in high noon, of all the high schoolers that are in the world or in our movement, only six of them this last semester stepped up to the plate, right? And when we got started, they kind of, especially one of them was feeling really ashamed that he had to join a high noon group. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you should be proud. Your parents should be proud of you because 100%, if not 98, 99% of your peers are struggling with the same thing. And none of them had the courage to step up and actually address this and work on this and kick nip in the bud so that you can actually just cut it off at its knees and before it gets escalated into full on addiction before you even begin a relationship, before you even consider marriage and preparing for the blessing and matching process. 
et cetera. And so by the time of it, I just was like, man, you guys have just grown so much. And I really saw that they did cut back a lot on their habits. But not only that, what was really interesting is their relationships with their parents specifically, I feel like was the biggest healing point and recovery point, because it's really not enough to just abstain from porn for the sake of abstaining it, unless we're actually actively working on the recovery process itself, the healing process and working on the relationships that are important to us. So it was kind of like simultaneously addressing their habit and slipping up and giving them the tools and the method to overcome it, but also asking them to do a homework of, okay, after our call, go report to your mom or your dad, and especially their dads, because I found that that's a more difficult relationship for guys regarding porn. Go to your dad and just tell them about your group call and how, what you experienced from it and to start a conversation there. And through that, just connecting them more with their parents, they were able to have more honest discussions and open up that relationship. And from that, just recover. Because when you start talking with your parents, or not just a parent, but anyone that loves you, and you start showing yourself vulnerably and show your all your flaws, and then you realize that, oh, wow, they don't judge me. They don't chastise me. They don't think I'm a, a terrible son or human being. They actually still love me. And that is like probably the most beautiful expression of receiving unconditional true love, God's love, essentially. And that is where the healing recovery process happens. So I feel like that parent-child relationship, especially in the context of young people, I mean, it's not just for high schoolers, but anyone, is really what this program offers, is having these kind of healing relationships with each other within the group, with the facilitators, but also within their own families. Uh, Yeah. Relationships are a huge one. Like how a relationship can flip around in three months is insane for better or for worse, right? You could destroy a relationship in three months, (laughs) but you can also revive a relationship in three months if that's your intention by practicing being honest, having integrity, you know, the five high noon virtues. So yeah, that's a good one. I wanted to mention one too, which is about relationships, but it's specifically, so I obviously can't say the guy's name, but he's an amazing guy. He's married, he's blessed, he has kids, but he's been on the long road to recovery. And just, we took a break last year, like we were in a, I was his facilitator. And then we took like a month break at the end of the year. There's some weird time period. So for whatever reason, he didn't have a group for like a month. And in that time, he kind of got lazy and lost a lot of his routines, his regimens that were keeping him focused. And so he kind of slipped and he wasn't feeling so confident. So in these past three months, it's insane. He not only regained his sexual integrity, that was just the foundation then to go through a lot of important life decisions where to do with his wife and his kids because they'd been separated due to circumstance. And he's kind of a nervous guy, kind of like an anxious guy. And so he doesn't like making decisions so much. But because of his foundation of being grounded in himself, he could then focus on what does my family need of me? Like, what can I step up and be of service to for the sake of my family? And he decided, like, he went through this couple week process, which basically he was certain that he wouldn't move to he decided he was going to move. And now he's all in on that. And he's basically quitting his job and he's moving to where his wife and kids are. And he's doing it with total confidence. That's the thing is like, he would not have been able to make that decision if he was not in a good place. If his mind was all over the place, because his emotions were all over the place, because he couldn't keep stable life going forward, if he didn't have any momentum in his life, I guarantee you he'd be freaking out right now. And maybe he would have come to the same conclusion, but he wouldn't be feeling the same way about his conclusion. 
he'd be freaking out. What if this is wrong? And that could easily bleed into accusation, right? Blaming his wife. And this could really be a cancer in their relationship. But instead, I see the guy walking with total clarity and be like, this is what I'm going to do. It's not my first choice, but I'm going to do this for the sake of my wife, for the sake of my family. I'm going to own it. He could do this because he had the extra bandwidth to tackle important issues rather than wasting all of his energy just trying to stave off his sexual temptations, right? He was kind of above that low-hanging energy and he was above where he could see clearly what needed to happen and he just did that. And that's super, super cool. I was really proud of him because I know the guy. He's similar to me in many ways. And so I just know, like when we're anxious, we're useless, (laughs) basically. When you reach a certain level of anxiety, no matter which way you go left or right, they're both going to be bad because you're in a bad state. So all you're seeing is the potential hazards instead of the opportunities that lie before you. So that's like- How would you say that? How does porn relationship in your mind result in being more anxious or- fearful because it's connected to self-centeredness and short-sightedness and emotional immaturity and especially for somebody who's been wrestling with sexual integrity for a while for somebody to take a, a bunch of steps backwards in their journey is you're just overwhelmed with the sense of being a failure and shame and all this stuff right so from that place you can't make productive decisions while you're in a self-destructive mindset. You know what I mean? Like when you hate yourself, you're going to make bad decisions for yourself. Like food. I know a guy that whenever he struggles with sexual, like when he's really down on his sexual integrity and he's making bad decisions regarding porn and all that, he also starts making really bad food choices because he just stops caring about himself. You know what I mean? And then he also stops caring about how he talks to other people. He's grumpier. And it's just basically self-destructing. And I know that that is true to varying degrees. I remember other guys like 10 years ago who were in my life. And I could tell very clearly based on like how they said hi to me, whether they were struggling, whether they had just watched porn, and whether they had just recently masturbated because they were just, they couldn't wake up in the morning. They had like this foggy cloud around them and they just weren't enjoyable to be around. But when they were kind of sober sexually then they were sober spiritually and they were had a lot of clarity so it's kind of like you know in spiritual terms it's like low spirit world is really like you're just comparing yourself to other people you're judging other people you're thinking about how much stuff you don't have it's like lack 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 all the things i don't have and then you get so frustrated with life to make a decision from there, it's not going to be good, right? So right. this dude just put himself in a, he handled himself like with his sexual integrity, just kind of dealt with that, got stable, and then kind of went to a higher place to start making his decisions. And when the difficult stuff came up, he could address it in a relatively short time with a lot of clarity. Yeah, I have someone of similar nature who made a lot of changes to his life basically because of joining high noon and he did a few this is a brother in my group right now and whenever we check in during our weekly calls we ask how was everyone doing how's your week going and a lot of the guys are really all over the place in terms of their integrity level their energy level throughout the week sometimes it's like really high and then the next call it's really low and but this one guy this gentleman is just super consistent every single week he's just the same like really 
His sexual integrity is just on point. He just feels really good. He has his routine, his daily schedule, his morning routine down, and he's just super consistent. And then after like eight weeks of meeting, I wanted everyone to really to dig into him, you know, during our call and really figure out what he's doing that's different from what everyone else is doing. Because it's really, it's just blatantly obvious that he's doing something well. And I just asked him a lot of questions about basically how he came to be from just a year ago. He said even six months ago, he was just way off the charts, really emotionally unstable, lots of fear, lots of anxiety, insecurities, personal insecurities. And now he's just consistent and stable. And then I was getting into it because there's something different about his approach or something that happened during his recovery process. And I guess the bottom line for him is that what he's experiencing now is not just abstinence for the sake of absence. Does that make sense? It's more of a recovery process, as in he's recovering or healing parts of his life and relationships or wounds in his life during this process that makes pornography just an afterthought. It just makes it irrelevant anymore because he doesn't need that crutch to lean on anymore. He doesn't need it to fill a void or to go to when he's feeling negative emotions. And so I really asked him more about his family. And basically, he brought it down to his relationship with his mother, particularly. When he started mm-hmm. High Noon, he started working on that relationship and just being more open and honest with her, and especially with his siblings as well. And that is a healing process that he needed to actually recover. Because we talk about porn, Ascend is a porn recovery program and a sexual integrity. It's not a porn abstinence program. We can't claim victory from just saying that we abstained through sheer will for three months, right? Unless you're recovering, you're just going to relapse. And this happens with some of the guys all the time. It's like they'll go months and months and then they'll just relapse and spiral out of control and then it's gone. And they're like, what happened? Why did I go so long? Well, it's because you were just abstaining and just cold turkeying it and you didn't have the real recovery that's needed and just to heal. And so anyways, the bottom line for this particular guy is he's just being really consistent with his relationships, with his daily routine, and he just makes it a top priority in his life. And he just comes to the call just the same every week. You know, not to dismiss the other guys, they do their best, (laughs) but sometimes they're all over the place in terms of their... Their integrity, but he's just really impressively keeping it consistent. I really think it's because he's experienced healing and recovery as an individual, which, like you were saying, makes his life more clear. He's more secure. He's more confident in his decisions. He's more clear about his future and what he wants to do with his life. And that's just like a knock-on effect of what's happening with Heinu, and it's pretty awesome. It is, yeah. And sometimes, again, so for everybody listening... That doesn't mean that your first 90-day experience, you're going to knock it out of the park because what Benji's talking about is pretty common where a lot of people are just kind of kicking the can. They're just, they don't quite get it the first three months, but what they're doing is they're orienting themselves to new way of life and it's a little bit new and it's a little bit uncomfortable at first. And little by little, you start to realize what the reality is and how to actually grow. You know, and some people need to just, not grow for a while and see themselves like, what's going on? I'm a part of this thing, but I'm not changing. So they need to do a few 90 days in order to really hit their stride. Because I also know another guy, there's another guy in the same group with different situation, but it's interesting. You were talking about that guy who was focusing on the relationship with his mother. This other guy, he's married. He also has kids, but he's still watching porn and masturbating and even his wife didn't seem to mind so much so long as he just like stayed away when she wanted him to stay away, right? And so they kind of had this agreement. So in the beginning, he wasn't so clear about, well, I'm not sure if I want to quit. 
this kind of thing because it's not so bad. My wife lets me, this kind of thing. But what he ended up doing was identifying that he wanted to be closer to his wife. Little by little, he could realize that he would love to have his wife's affection instead of a phone and his hand, right? He would love to be with her. But he also realized that when he was rejected by her, he would get livid. He would get so angry and so frustrated and he would want to go watch porn and masturbation out of sheer anger, right? And kind of a resentment. And so that boiled to this kind of heated moment where he started then messaging about halfway through our three months. He started messaging us during his nighttime and I was just having some back and forth with him and he was wrestling with like, he knows what he wants. He wants his wife's love and he knows that maybe she's just not in the mood or whatever, but he takes it so personally and he doesn't want to, but his emotions were so raw and he could see this internal struggle happening in real time where he wanted something, but his emotions were telling him the exact opposite and he didn't know what to believe. But that was this really definitive moment that helped him see himself with more clarity and then his struggle became a lot less since then. And now he's a lot more, he associates sexuality with intimacy and closeness with his wife instead of something that his body needs, regardless of whether his wife wants to participate or not, right? So that's like a real relationship thing too. The one you mentioned was more mother-child, which is really important. But it's also like when you start working on your relationships in general, you see how much your sexuality is influenced by kind of your dysfunctional understanding of certain relationships, key relationships in your life. And so this dude's doing like way better now. He's so much happier. He feels so much lighter because he doesn't really have this nearly as much negative anger, frustration, emotion associated with his sexual experience, which is like, imagine how many people are stuck there eternally because they didn't get that. Right. So and this guy, he'd just been doing it for, we've just been working together for three months, but he changed. He was like night and day in those three months, but he went all in. He also had a life coach and he was just like, I think he took the marriage course. He was just doing everything he could to kind of understand himself. And he grew, I think more than a lot of people grow in a lifetime. He grew in three months just because he's ready for it. And he put in the work and (laughs) it was amazing to watch. And he keeps on saying thank you to me. Like I did something. I was like, wow, I mean, you did it. You know, you did the work, bro. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I've seen that a lot in my life too. Just the act of putting investing in it and not just thinking about it or battling within our own brain or within our own relationship just to tell somebody about it and to actually take action and actually invest in it. Because otherwise we're just fooling ourselves. You know, honestly, we're just fooling ourselves thinking we're making the right efforts or conditions or whatever it takes to change. But in the end, we're not really doing what we seriously need to do, which is often doing stuff like that, like joining the group, joining the marriage course, whatever. Yeah. I want to clarify too that A lot of times I get confused when somebody's like, you got to put in the work because it depends, especially with online courses, that's clear. You just do that physical work. But with internal work, it's not always clear what that means, right? Like in a spiritual or religious context, they're like, you just need to try to love somebody. It's like, what the hell? What does that mean, right? So in this guy's Mm -hmm. case, it was abundantly clear that his work was to go inward and see what was true. So when he's feeling a feeling that he does the work of saying, do I want to pursue this feeling? So for him, it was like, I want to go watch porn and masturbate. But it kind of ran counter against his desire to want to be closer to his wife. And so the real work was like, he was sitting there messaging me. I asked him like, please leave voicemails if you want. So we had a lot of voice messages back and forth. And the work was he was wrestling with his thoughts and emotions and seeing what's true 
And it's exhausting when you do that. <laughs> but it's not like something that you can put into a class setting and put it like 20 students in a classroom and say, okay, wrestle with your emotions. It's not so simple as that. But the real work is noting when you're feeling something, writing it down, inviting somebody into the conversation, like an accountability partner, talking to yourself, praying first instead of just reacting, processing, thinking, having discussions with people in your life. This is the work of understanding yourself. It's very practical when you do it, and that will definitely make your 90 days a lot more useful. The people that just show up for the calls and don't do anything in between, then nothing really happens because they're missing the point. That this is learning about yourself. Becoming intimate with yourself is a requirement. And you can't just do that by showing up to a call once a week. You got to do this work. You got to spend time with your thoughts and your feelings. Yeah. I want to mention something that is basically a common theme that's occurring right now in the semester in the group that I'm leading is the idea of how to respond to strong and negative emotions. Mm. And it's becoming really clear to us that, especially for men, I would even venture to say that this is more difficult for men, generally speaking, than women, is knowing how to deal with those negative emotions of feeling rejected, feeling frustrated, feeling stressed, feeling angry in a positive, productive way, rather than the tendency we have is to, and I think we can all attest to this in some form, try to escape that emotion through a phone, through pornography, through alcohol, through drugs, through video games, the list goes on and on. And it's a really strong, tempting way to temporarily escape that emotion and not deal with it head on and actually communicate about it. You know, with someone, if, if my wife rejects me or is upset at me, not to just say you're wrong, get angry and then go on my phone or something to see if it's a feeling, but to actually communicate about it and, and talk about that, like you said, inwardly have introspection and journal about it, maybe pray about it. And I feel like when it really comes down to it, that's probably, to me, that's really what it takes is, is creating the habit of addressing these emotions that are real emotions. They're not fake or they're not, we shouldn't dismiss it and devalue them, but actually how to respond to them simply. And yeah, I want. I just want to comment about the thing I mentioned about men and women. I think honestly that generally speaking, men do have a harder time identifying their feelings and discussing their feelings in a productive way. If, like, if you've ever had experience where someone asked you how you're feeling, you know, and I'm like, I have no idea how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking about, but <laughs> women generally know exactly what they're thinking about, what they're feeling about, you know, like we're being interrogated when my wife says, what are you thinking about? Or my mom. So, you know, women just are better at understanding their emotions and dealing with them. And I think that's possibly one reason that men are more susceptible to addictions, pornography, video games, et cetera, uh, just more escapism methods. Sure. I'm sure some of that is cultural to a degree as well, because traditionally men have been told to kind of suppress their emotions, right? But also there's just the tendency, like it's inarguable when you go to a playground with a two-year-old and there's a group of say 12, six and seven-year-olds, half of them are boys, half of them are girls. The girls will flock to the baby and want to take care of it and talk about how cute it is and say all these things. And the boys will ignore it like it's <laughs> like it's homework. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with this thing unless it's useful to them in some sort of game that they want to play. It's like, get this thing out of my way. It's slow. It's useless to me, you know, and like 100 percent. I've never been proven wrong about this. Obviously, there's like the exception where there's the one boy that like pays attention to a kid, but for a period of time and then he's off. But girls will like naturally there. Yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. So there's that reality. 
So anyway, guys, we just wanted to kind of paint the picture. I hope it was helpful to understand why we do 90 days at a time and what you can get out of 90 days. But there's certain elements. You have to have clarity, the North Star goal. If you want to know more about that, go back to the North Star goal episode where we go into detail of what that is. But you need a strong vision. You need belief and you need a place to practice. And so meaning like a structured regimen of, okay, my vision is I want to sleep really well and eat really healthy so that I can be more focused. Okay. So then you get more detailed about that. And then your environment is like the accountability that you create to make sure that that happens. And when it doesn't happen, you tell somebody about it. And when it does happen, you tell somebody about it. And when you live like that with a really clear vision, belief in your vision and congruent actions and accountability, then like growth is inevitable. And then to add kerosene on it to make the fire get really big, you can do extra stuff like have extra accountability, take an extra course, listen to more content, challenge yourself more. You can grow as fast as you want, basically. And everybody has different amounts of baggage that they have to clean up. If you compare your journey to somebody else's, it might look totally, it will look totally different because we're all dealing with different heredity and different upbringing. But at the same time, your growth for you can go fast or it can go slow. And that depends on how much you are able to create that vision, believe in that vision and work towards that vision with daily disciplines that vision will absolutely inevitably come to pass. So yeah, we want you to do that. We want you to experience it. It's beautiful to behold when people in our community grow and it's possible, but you got to put in the work and 90 days at a time, just focus 90 days at a time. Don't worry about 10 years or five years. Don't worry about five years ago. Just focus on three months at a time and you'll see massive growth when you look back. You're like, whoa, I was a different person three months ago. It's insane. Any last words, Benji? No, you nailed it. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, my pleasure. So if you have any questions, as always, reach out to us and we're happy to help you expedite your journey so that this world can get back to equilibrium because it's crazy place right now. So good luck. We love you. God bless you. Take yeah. care. God bless. Hey, Andrew Love here. And I wanted to plant a seed in your mind before you go. You see, a lot of people, when they start to consume our content, they listen to our podcast, they watch our videos, they read our blogs, they start to believe in the idea of freedom as a possibility for them in their lives. And it is. You can break free from porn. You can build amazing, eternal relationships. But it requires you to make the jump. It requires you to commit transformation. And that only happens when you invite other people into your journey. You see, a lot of people think that because I got into porn by myself, I can get out of it by myself. And that's the wrong thinking. It's not about simply removing a negative force from your life. It's about creating fulfillment and connection and intimacy with other people. So we really recommend first and foremost that you build a team of accountability partners, facilitators, group members, and we can do that. We have all that waiting for you, but you need to first reach out to us. If you already have people in your life that you think can help you, we have online courses that will teach you both how to create a dynamic that works in terms of accountability. But if you don't have an accountability partner, we already have volunteers who are waiting for somebody to help. We have groups that are waiting for somebody like you. 
But your role and your job is to merely reach out to us and we can work together with you to create a powerhouse team so that you can build the life of your dreams. We look forward to hearing from you.